What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right, what's up and welcome back everyone. My name is Thomas Kopelman and this is Trayton DeVore. So the topic we're gonna talk about today is eight steps to set up your family for success. So I get questions all the time from people about what really should I do to help set up my family? Um, you know, life has really changed for these people. You went from graduating college, being single, only really having to worry about yourself to now you just really want to be a good parent. You got to figure out, do I need life insurance? You know, am I preparing for retirement? Am I preparing for my kids college? Well, you know, do we have all the foundational pieces set up so that way I'm not really putting my family at risk. So today we're going to go into kind of these eight steps that would, if you can just get all of these things handled, you'll be in a really good spot in preparing for the future for your family. Yeah. So the first step might sound like one of the most boring things in the world to do, but it's a necessity. You got to get your cash flow under control before diving into any other aspects of your finances. So the first step is to create a budget. So I know I harp on this one a lot. Like I always talk about it and it might almost even get annoying, but budgeting is key. Like the problem is that so many people skip this step and they just say, you know, I sit down with them. Hey, what's your surplus? Like, what do you make minus what do you spend? And everybody kind of just looks at me blankly of, uh, I don't really know. And so there's no real way to do true financial planning until you understand the difference between what you make and what you spend. And then once you figure out that number, we can truly say, okay, how, this much goes retirement savings. This much goes to saving for certain goals. This much should go extra towards debt. And so this is the foundational piece. But what I usually help clients with is understanding that budgeting is the thing that we want to do in the beginning. But then after a few months of getting that understanding of what we spend on average every month, then we kind of switch to the idea of reverse budgeting. So reverse budgeting means, and I'll, I'll break it down in simpler terms of like you're paid once a month. So let's get, say you get paid on the first of the month, you have $10,000 of income. Well, what we're going to do is say, hey, we know on average we spend 6,000. So we're going to automate that extra 4,000 to all of the right places. And then your job is just to spend that, that 6,000 that's left over. This is kind of an easier way. There's less tracking, but I still push people to use a budgeting software so that way they can still be aware of their spending habits because what happens is we kind of all start to deviate slowly. We overspend a little bit more in food and then a little bit more in shopping. And if we don't track it, eventually that becomes way too big and then we have to really rein ourselves back in. So that's why it has to be step one is understanding your cash flow. Yeah, and like you said, that is it has to be the most important part because everything else kind of builds off that. And I'm a huge fan of reverse budgeting. When I had regular W-2 income, that was exactly what I was doing, like automated every single Friday. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was like 750 or a thousand. Every paycheck goes straight to savings. Um, I think I think the basis of financial planning is spend less than you make unless you have millions of dollars invested. And so that's why I have to start here because if you're spending more than you make, you're not going to hit any financial goals. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and that kind of leads us into our next point of getting insured. And this is something I personally see missed a lot within financial planning, especially working with people in their 20s and 30s is one, not having insurance and then two, possibly having the correct or incorrect insurance coverage. And Thomas is going to dive into a little bit of that whole versus term and all yeah. that. Yeah, I think first starting with um, disability insurance. So all of us in our 20s and 30s, the most valuable asset we have is our income over time. And so, you know, if you're 30 and you have 35 years left of your working career making $100,000, that's $3.5 million of income you're set to make. And if something were to happen where you got injured and you no longer were able to work, that is probably the most devastating thing that can happen to your plan. So a lot of people have disability insurance through work. So you need to look into that. And if you don't, or you don't have enough, you need to go outside of that and get more disability insurance. But the second piece is life insurance. So as soon as somebody is responsible, you're responsible for somebody is the time when you need life insurance. So you get married. Yep. You have kids. Yep. And so you need to look into kind of what's the right amount. And typically for most people, it makes sense to just get term insurance. This is going to be the least cost for the most benefit. And you can do it for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years to insure yourself for as long as those people are going to be relying on you. Um, I know a lot of people have questions about whole life and other permanent life insurance. And the thing is, is that most of the time that just gets sold to people because they have a higher income and they say, Hey, we're going to sell. And it's going to be 4% of your income. You're going to need to do it. And these salespeople have really great training and language around why it sounds so good. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense for most people. And so I would look at your advisor and see like, you know, how much are you getting paid on this? Like, do you have a fiduciary standard? Because if they don't, a lot of times it's all about, hey, I can make, you know, $4,000 off this sale right now. So I'm going to make that sale versus term is a way lower commission to that person. And then the one thing that I didn't include in this part, but is important for families is get a will in place. You need to make sure that you have it set up. So if something happened to you and your spouse that your kids are taken care of. The money knows where to go. You know who's going to take care of those kids. You have a power of attorney. Um, that, that is something that is overlooked by almost everybody. And nowadays you can get it done for a pretty low cost. And we help our clients do that. Yeah. And I mean, those are all great points. And going back to the disability, when you said if someone may have to go outside of their employer to get it, um, do you typically recommend like a specific brokerage or how would you kind of recommend someone who's not working with a financial planner to find a trustworthy person or just where to even find the disability insurance? Yeah. So we help connect our clients to BC brokerage. They're kind of an independent firm where they can shop around hundreds of carriers and look at like, Hey, based on you and you know, the job you have, or you and like the health problems you have, like this is going to be the best carrier. And so I typically don't recommend going somewhere where they can only sell one type of product because then they're just going to sell you whatever they have versus what is best for you. So typically it makes sense to go somewhere independent. And if people need help with this, we can always connect you to the right people. Yep, exactly. And that kind of leads us into our next point. Number three is building an emergency fund. And we both preach this all the time. And I just want to clarify, like an emergency fund is not a special type of savings account. Like you don't go to the bank and ask to open emergency fund. Like it's just a savings account where you keep anywhere from three to even possibly 12 months of living expenses. And I mean, the main purpose of it is basically just to cover any emergencies that come up in life. Like if you have to 
get an oil change or replace something on your car or literally anything that can come up in life because we know anything can happen, especially after what we've seen the past year. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, number three, get an emergency fund. And Thomas, if you wanted to go a little bit more in depth on that. I think that with the emergency fund, it, it kind of varies depending on the person. So you say it can be anywhere three to 12 months. Well, if you're somebody that's really risk averse or you have like a variable income job or you're about to start a business, you might want to get more to that 12 months range. Um, but if you're somebody that like, you know, you rent, you have a car lease um, you, and you have a really safe job, you could probably go closer to that three month range. It really just depends on who you are. The one thing about this step is that a lot of people look at me and say like, well, if I have high interest debt, why would I do this first? Great question. I think you should, because if you don't build at least one month of expenses and something big happens, like, you know, furnace in your house going out or major medical expense, well, you're just going to have to go back and swipe that credit card anyways. And so you're setting yourself backwards. What I like is build that foundation. So then as things come, you're not really going backwards, but you're prepared for it. And then you move forward. So if that's kind of you, a lot of high interest debt, I would do one month's worth of expenses um, and kind of run with it. Yeah. And that's a great point, which again, leads us into our next point of paying off any remaining high interest debt. And both of these steps, the emergency fund and paying off high interest debt kind of go in tandem, like you can do them both at the same time. And I definitely recommend to, like Thomas was saying, get that one, at least one month of saved up before attacking the debt even more because if something happens, then you're just adding on more debt and mm-hmm. kind of digging yourself into that hole. Um, so number four, pay off any remaining high interest debt, like credit card debt. Yeah. And I think just really attack this one quickly. If you have, you know, four different debts, attack them with the highest interest, put all the extra above the minimum there. And then when that's done, go to the next one and kind of just roll through them that way. But the goal is that by doing this and building the emergency fund that you're not going to ever go step back into the place where you're using high interest debt. Like that is the goal of doing good financial planning is that you are not turning to, you know, high interest debt because it's just such a hard hole to get out of. I mean, the average credit cards in like the 20%. So if you have $10,000, you're sitting on over $2,000 of interest just in one year to pay it off. So try to avoid it at all costs. Exactly. And point number five is we're starting to get a little more into the exciting aspect of personal finance. Still not super exciting, but saving for retirement. And with millennials, we have the best opportunity in our lives to invest right now. Like we have 40, 30, 20 years ahead of us to withstand the ups and downs of the markets. We can invest for the long term. And I just think investing for retirement, all these points are so important, but getting invested after you've built your financial foundation is one of the most important things you can do for sure. Yeah. And I think with with retirement, you kind of have to start with your 401k. If, if you have an employer match, say they match 100% to 6%, that's pretty much the best place to start because you're getting 100% return on your dollars. That is something that isn't guaranteed anywhere else. You, you want to be mindful of your vesting schedule. If they say, hey, at five years, you get their matches and you're not going to be there for five years, well, then that changes the story. But then after that, you start to look at IRAs, Roth IRAs, kind of those external accounts. 
and start to think through, you know, hey, do I believe my taxes are going to go up in the future? If so, then I want to do Roth. If I believe my taxes are going to go down in the future, then I probably want to be in traditional type of accounts, but really focusing on that 401k first and then going to the external accounts. And a lot of times, you know, some people say, well, what happens if my 401k doesn't have a match? Well, if your 401k doesn't have a match, it might make sense to just go external to a Roth because you have more flexibility. You can always pull out the contributions. You have more investment options. Um, but again, you got to look at your 401k and understand the benefits and the trade-offs of using it. Yeah. And it's like Thomas was saying, it's always important to take a look at your own accounts first. Like if your employer doesn't, doesn't have a 401k match, that's very important to know if they do. And it's maybe higher than average. That's also super important to know because then you might need to contribute a little bit more to it. Um, but point number six, I think is very unknown mm -hmm. and it is to start a health savings account. And this is one of the most, most ad tax advantaged accounts you can have. Like you mm -hmm. get deduction on deposit, the money can grow tax-free. And if it's used for qualified withdrawals, you can also withdraw it tax-free. And yeah. Thomas, if you want to go a little bit more yeah. on that. I think that the you're totally right about the HSA kind of being overlooked. The hard part is not everybody has access to one. Like you have to be in a health health insurance plan that allows for it. But if it does, a lot of people actually argue that this should be at the step above the Roth IRA because it has that triple tax advantage versus an IRA Roth IRA only have the double. And so the other other missed part is what people do is they see this, they have their HSA, they put money into it, and they use that on healthcare costs on a yearly basis. And while that may make sense for some people that have, you know, maybe don't have the amount of out of pocket to pay for it for kind of more of these high income people, it does make sense to use that HSA, let it sit for a while, get invested and grow and be used in the future. The nice thing is there's kind of like, you know, if I have an HSA and next year, my family has a baby, we pay for the baby out of pocket. Well, 10 years from now, I can actually take those HSA contributions and write it off for using it on that healthcare expense nine years before there's really no rules around it. So if you can use the HSA, let it grow, save it for the future. The also the other nice thing is if you never touch it and you go into retirement, it turns kind of into an IRA where you only pay taxes on the gain of that account. Yeah, exactly. It is, it, it's such an underutilized account and it's so unknown that even just making people aware of it, I think is going to be super impactful. And the next point We've all we all know how expensive college is. We're all probably drowning in student loan debt right now. And if we don't want our kids to go through the same thing, point number seven is saving for college. Yeah, I think this is a hard one because a lot of people expect changes to happen in college, how it's paid for. And so there's many ways you can do this. There's 529 plans, which are great in some states. You get credits or tax deductions, but and then they also grow tax deferred and can be used tax free on healthcare or I mean on college expenses. But the hard part is then what happens if your kid doesn't go to college? What happens if they get a scholarship? And so there's less flexibility there compared to Roth IRAs or taxable accounts. And so you really want to talk with your advisor and figure out based on my state, based on what we're trying to do, based on what we think will happen with our children, you know, come up with a strategy that works. I think this one's too complex to really get into it much more than that. Yeah, yeah, that one's definitely more specific to each person's individual situation. And even kind of like we've seen in the news, a lot of millennials aren't necessarily having kids right now. Yeah. And 
maybe don't even necessarily plan to, but if you do like keep in mind college savings, there's multiple different ways to go for it. And as Thomas kind of alluded to is our point number eight, which is starting a taxable investment account. And that can be used for so many different things. It can be used for more long-term midterm savings goals, like Mm -hmm. saving for a house or potentially saving for your kid's college. And it's also a taxable investment account is like what you would open at Robinhood or Mm -hmm. public things like that. And while it's not recommended to have a play account where you kind of invest in the things like GameStop or Dogecoin or things like that, that's if you decided to do that, that's where you would put those investments is in a taxable investment account typically. Yeah. And so a taxable account, it has more flexibility. You can use the money whenever you want. You're, you're taxed a little differently though. So you're taxed based on income in less than a year past a year, your tax on long-term capital gains. And so understanding that this is the account you can use to fund your life between now and retirement. But you got to understand that taxes come with that account. And also you have to understand that you have to invest certain ways inside of this account. So if you're going to use this money for a house in five years, well, you're not going to want to be investing in Robinhood and GameStop and all of these things that are extremely volatile because you're going to need that money more in the short term. But if you have more of a long horizon of like 25, 30 years, that's when you can start to take a little bit more risk, which means having higher allocation to stocks than to bonds. Um, But I feel like that's kind of, everything that we really wanted to go into. So let's get into the question from the audience this week, which is, um, should I invest in crypto? And again, we have to note before we get into this, we're not giving you recommendations on whether you should or shouldn't, but we're going to help explain at what point of life does it actually make sense to do this? Yeah. And I think kind of just like you were saying, just framing it more as You need to take your own situation into account and based off that kind of personal evaluation, then you can decide if investing in crypto or having a taxable investment account that's like 10% of your portfolio, 5%. That's all definitely based on your own situation. Um, But to answer the question, like, should I be investing in crypto is one of my favorite questions right now. I actually earned my certified digital asset advisor designation earlier this summer. Um, So I've definitely gone through the rabbit hole that is crypto and DeFi and NFTs, everything like that. Like I'm super interested in it, but I do also think that there are several things that you need to do before Mm -hmm. throwing money into crypto. It is very risky right now. Like, things could drop 50, 75, 90% in a day, or they could go up that same amount in a day. Like it's just very volatile in both directions. Um, But one of the things that I would do before investing in crypto is making sure that you have high interest debt paid off. Because if like the example earlier, like if your credit card's at 20% interest rate, by paying it off, you're effectively getting a 20% return on your money because you're not being charged that interest rate anymore. Yep. Good point. And yeah, you can earn way more than 20% crypto, but again, potentially, not, potentially, yeah, it's yeah. not guaranteed whatsoever. A lot of people have lost a lot more than that. Um, and yeah. another thing I would say is um, to what was I going to say? Emergen- <laughs> um, I think emergency fund yeah. built is another yeah. step. Yeah. 401k to the match. 
Yeah. And just kind of everything that we covered in these previous eight steps need to be done before you invest in crypto, like the emergency fund and making sure you're on track for your life goals. Like if you're saving for a house and you're hoping to buy an NFT that is going to 5x to then get you to that down payment on the house, that is not something that I would ever recommend. And I've seen a lot of people like trying to do that. Like Twitter is crazy right now. Some people have been successful with it, but the ones who aren't. who aren't aren't the ones tweeting about it. That that is yeah. for sure. Like no one wants to talk about how they just lost twenty five thousand buying pictures. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. Is that you don't want to be using crypto or nfts or any of these things to chase returns to set you up to have a goal in the future like you can't expect these crazy hypothetical returns to be your way like hey five years i need a hundred thousand for a house well if i spent if i save twenty thousand in crypto hopefully by then it'll be a hundred thousand like that's just not really how it works you can't base yourself off these insane returns to hit a goal no and and that's why i mean one of the things that i always recommend to someone if they're wanting to get into crypto is defining your why like why do you want to invest in crypto is it to try and get returns like that because if so that's probably not a good enough reason to start putting money into crypto but if it's something like you believe in the movement towards decentralization and the adoption of cryptocurrency and you understand how the technologies work and the impact they can have and you truly believe it and want to invest in it, that's a really good reason because you have your why, like you know why you want to put that money in. It's not to get 5X returns, it's because you believe in the direction it's heading. Yeah. Like for example, if someone like earlier this year was like, oh, I want to put 5,000 in Dogecoin, and you asked him why, the answer is probably to... Because it's going to the moon. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's just not... That's not enough to justify making an investment. There is Mm -hmm. reasons to invest in crypto if it's the right situation, but overall, like you really need to understand why you want to invest in it. Yeah. have a lot of those other things taken care of first because like we said it's it's volatile it can go up a lot but it can also come down at the same speed and i think that happen that conviction is the big piece like if you're going to invest in crypto and honestly i'd go back to like step 8b like this is right around that taxable investment account time of like hey maybe this is when it makes sense and if that's the case you got to do the research. You got to invest in what you believe in, because if you don't, when those downturns happen and it drops 60, 70% over a month, it's really hard to hold on. If you only believed in it for the appreciation it could have, because you're going to sit there and say, well, maybe this is the end. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I invested in the wrong one. And that's what happens when you're chasing those returns. So I would say that. And then the other part that I get from a lot of people is like, Oh, I know I should do those things first, but it's so early in crypto and I don't want to miss out on these gains and I don't want to miss out on it. And and I get that. Like I get the fear of missing out on these returns, but the hard part is if you have none of the basics set up, all of a sudden, you know, you got $5,000 in crypto, you have no emergency fund, furnace at your house goes out, it's going to be $5,000. Well, you're either selling that crypto to fund it or you're going to add credit card debt and hope that you can pay it off and hope that credit card return is you know, less than what you get from the crypto. And you're just sitting at kind of a lot of problems. Um, The other part of this too, is that I think crypto plays a role in a portfolio, but it doesn't, it's not the whole portfolio. And so 
personally, how I invest is, you know, I have about 80% of my total net worth in index funds that are low cost with the right diversification, have the research behind what I believe in, what I want to invest in. And then my crypto is that part of my portfolio that I take risk on. I understand that if it goes to zero, I'm still going to hit all the goals I'm planning for that I saw through financial planning. But if it goes to be a ton, well, that's just kind of like, you know, frosting on the cake. It's just like this added benefit that's going to be great. But it's the place that I'm willing to take that risk because I believe in a lot of it for what the future holds and for the technology. And it's just where I see a lot of the future going. Yeah. And I think you made a really good point talking about like potentially if you invest too early and like you need to sell it off, like you also have to take into account the tax implications of that. Like, but as far as the question, should I be investing in crypto? A lot of things need to be done before you start allocating money towards Bitcoin or ETH or anything like that, Cardano, Solana. And it's 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 important to know that it's risky. It's not guaranteed to go to the moon. And you just need to understand your why kind of develop your investment thesis before you go in. Like, what's my purpose of this? When am I going to sell? What would kind of trigger me to sell everything like that before before putting money in it? Yeah. So, I mean, um, and that concludes the first episode. So, or actually the second episode. So we got into the weeds here. We hope you learned a lot, submit questions to us. Um, and this will be on YouTube. So go subscribe and subscribe to the podcast and just check everything out. So see you again next week.